And open your Bibles, please, to James chapter 1. This week's home improvement project was a new gas furnace. Don't worry, I didn't install it myself. <laughs> I could see your wheels turning there. <laughs> Uh, I'm smart enough to know when to call an expert, and I got an expert. Uh, Mark Holland came, and uh, and by the way, he he is a craftsman. Thank you for a great job, Mark. Uh, he didn't ask me to give an advertisement, but I will if you need some furnace work done. He's the guy to call. Um, I helped put the furnace in, or or hindered, as the case may be. <laughs> Last year, my furnace, last heating season, my furnace began doing something strange. It would, it would turn on, it would turn off, and it would turn on, run for a little bit and turn off, kind of going back and forth. And, and, and just by accident, I discovered that if I would shut the breaker off and then turn the breaker back on, something kind of recycled, and then it would do okay for a while, and then it would do it again. And so I had Mark come over, and he said, well, you know, this, that, and the other, and it's going to cost this much to fix it, and, and I just decided it was time to, to put a new furnace in. Now, this heating season, of course, the thing has run like a top, you know, uh, no problems whatsoever. So I could have just waited until it died completely, which would have been probably in the middle of a northeast wind, you know, 15 degrees uh, minus the chill factor. And uh, I could have called Mark up and he said, yeah, I'll be there in a month to uh, put it in for you. <laughs> Probably not the best plan. Probably better to be proactive and take care of things like that. Take care of problems before they become disasters. So too with the Christian life. We can let sin go and say, well, it's just a little sin and it just kind of bothers me a little bit. And we can let that go until there is a disaster in our life or we can take care of it and keep moving on the righteous life. I want to talk today about the cycle of sin and breaking the cycle of sin. We started this sermon um, about three weeks ago before I, I had my uh, tonsillectomy, so I've been out of the pulpit for a couple of weeks, but started this, and as you remember, if you were here, we started with a testimony from one of our long-term members, the last person ever that most of us would expect would do something that was not only sinful but illegal and end up going to prison. And Glenn has served his time, and he's come out, and the Lord has, has certainly done a work in his life, and he shared his testimony and, and we began sharing these truths from God's word uh, as, as, as sort of the, the teaching that goes along with the testimony, which is how can we avoid the disaster of sin? Well, we can avoid it by breaking the cycle at every step, or any step, if you will. And so we want to read about that first step, and I'm going to summarize just very briefly the first part of the sermon that I already preached. If you weren't here, you can go online, ferndalebaptist.com, and, and go to the sermon archive. You can find the whole thing there, but I just want to summarize it as a lead into the, the second half that I didn't get to three weeks ago. 
So from James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one, each person is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And the death that he's speaking of there is not just death as in physical death, not just as in spiritual death of going to hell, but the death of a life that is disordered, and we'll look at that in just a minute. But the cycle of sin begins with our own personal desires. I chose to break sin down into three categories based on those desires, which is this. Sin can be something that I cannot have ever. There are some things that God has prohibited, period. Adultery is always wrong. There will never be a time when that is acceptable. Drunkenness is wrong. There will never be a time when that is acceptable. Thievery is wrong. Uh, lying is wrong. We can go on through long lists of things. Um, being angry and out of control. There are some things that God will never say this is okay. I don't know how many times I've had people come and tell me, well, I've been praying about this, and I think it's going to be okay. And what they've been praying about is something that God doesn't ever want them to have. You do not need to pray about things of which in God's word, God says this is wrong. And there are things in God's word that, that God tells us are categorically wrong. There is no... There's no gray space. There's no uh, room for discussion. Now, there are also some things that I cannot have now. Um, there is nothing wrong with having some material possession. But if I have to steal to get it, the stealing is always wrong. But the material possession may be a fine thing. God may allow me to have that someday, some way, and in his time. Uh, marriage is something that, that I have to pursue in a godly way. It is a godly thing, but it can be done sinfully. And we could go on through, through many areas of life. There are some things I cannot have now, and I have to wait and be patient. There are some things that I cannot have like this. Um, God says that a believer should not marry an unbeliever. There is no need to pray about whether that's okay. There is no need to pursue that, to, to ask about it, to move on it. There are some things you cannot have like this. Now, marriage is a fine thing, but married to an unbeliever is not a fine thing. Um, God wants us to have a job and to be productive and to work, but there are some God's jobs God does not want you to have. And so, but I, I, I've broken sin down this way because these are the things that come out of our desires. There are things we want and some of them start with our physical being. God has put certain desires within us. The desire for sexual fulfillment and for companionship between a man and a woman. That is a God-created thing. God has put a desire within us to be productive and to, to, uh, to achieve things and so on. There are desires within us, but if we're not careful, our desire gets us into sin and sin According to James 1.15, when it is full grown, brings forth death. How do you protect yourself? How do you protect yourself from your own desires? You take this verse up as your, as your life verse, 
every morning when you get out of bed, every time when you're going to make a decision, every hard thing that comes up and you don't know what to do, you say, what would honor God? Now, one of the things that this brings up, frankly, is the, the sacrifice of sin, of, of righteousness. The sacrifice of righteousness. Every act of righteousness will require you to let go of something. If you're going to follow God and stay pure until marriage, you're going to have to let go of premarital sex. If you are going to be an honest person at work, you're going to have to let go of the norm of picking things up and taking it home like everybody else does. There are all kinds of things. There are sacrifices to be made. Some of those are timing. Some of those are possessions. There's all kinds of sacrifices, but we make them not just because God says some things are right or wrong, but because God says, I have the potential. I have the potential as a believer in Christ to honor him with my life. And that is an expensive thing when we let go of sin, but it is a good thing. The second, I guess I, I, guess I would call these steps, the second aspect of the cycle of sin is delight. Um, in the book of Hebrews, we read about Moses who had the opportunity to grow up and be potentially to be the next Pharaoh in Egypt. But it says he chose not to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season or the passing pleasure of sin with the Egyptian royalty and instead he identified himself with God's people which put was a great sacrifice on his part. But the little principle that we note right there is this. Sin has an element of delight. God has created certain physical pleasures to be pleasurable and they are pleasurable whether they are done righteously or sinfully. There are many things that bring us delight. But the fact that it feels good doesn't make it be good. You know the old country western song, How can it be wrong when it feels so right? Is upside down, spiritually. Because it can definitely be wrong, especially when it feels right. But there is an element of delight. The reality of sin is that it feels good for a while. Every sin feels good for a while. But if you're going to protect yourself from the delight of sin, you've got to trust the authorities that God's put in your life. Now, this may sound like a power play to some of you, or it may not, but... One of the problems with spiritual immaturity. Now here's what I mean by that, spiritual immaturity. You can be spiritually immature at any chronological age. Okay, now we, when we use the word immature, we would typically think, well, a small child is immature, a teenager definitely immature, you know. And then it's comparative from there. A young adult is more immature than an older adult. Of course, the reality is, have you ever heard this phrase? A full-grown adolescent? That's what we talk about, middle-aged people that are immature. 
But spiritual immaturity goes with our salvation in Christ. Maybe we get saved when we're 15 years old and we grow in Christ at a certain pace. There's a spiritual immaturity. We don't understand the word, the world spiritually as much as the seasoned veteran Christian who has really been growing in Christ for 10 or 20 or 30 years. They look at the world very differently than the wide-eyed new believer. And so we need to trust the realities that God has put in our life. First of all, the, the, the authority that God has put in our life is God, and he speaks to us through his word. We need to trust him so much that when he says this is right and this is wrong, we say yes. Not, not because we understand every time, but because we trust God every time. We also need to trust our parents. I know not every parent has the best interest of their child at heart. Some parents are immature themselves. But young people in their parents' home need to trust the judgment of their parents. When the parent says no, the child needs to say okay. Not because the parents are perfect, but because God has established parents as an authority. And God has also established the, the concept of spiritual leadership. Hebrews 13 says it two different times. It says trust those, pay attention to those, obey those who have the, the authority over you, the spiritual authority. I use this example in Sunday school, and I'll, I'll refer to it again. We, we had a, a, a woman who is with the Lord now in our church in Tukwila who was 70 years old as a, a widow the second time. She, she'd buried two husbands. One of them was a really good man. One of them was a really bad man. And she was lonely and wanted to get married again. And boy, she went headlong after a fellow that she met in the Midwest through the Christian Singles newspaper. Every person in her life said, wait, be patient, take it easy, check it out, do your homework. She thought she had done her homework, but every person in her life, including her pastor, who here I am, I'm a, I'm a 30-something-year-old talking to a 70-year-old saying, hey, be patient. And you know, she ran back there and married the guy, and two weeks later she left him and came home. And if she had listened to all of her friends and her pastor, who I wanted her to have companionship too, but God is going to work through the leaders he puts in your life. Sin is delightful, and it will fool us because our own hearts are sinful. We need to trust the spiritual leaders and God himself through his word. The third element of the cycle of sin is what I have chosen to call disgust. have to have all D words to be alliterated. The Christian who sins feels guilty. See, we started with a desire. This is something I want. I'm going to go after it. I do it, and it feels good. And if you are truly a child of God, after you sin, you feel bad. The Christian who sins feels guilty. That is because the Holy Spirit produces guilt. The Holy Spirit produces guilt when we sin. And so consequently, there's no worse place for a Christian to be than in sin. Because the Christian can't enjoy sin, because every time he sins, the Holy Spirit goes, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And, and the Holy Spirit is not enjoying the Lord, because he's stuck in his sin. And so he's in the middle, not enjoying the Lord, not enjoying sin. What do we have to do to protect ourselves against the guilt of sin? We have to confess our sin. 
1 John 1, 9, if we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. If we don't confess our sin, we move on to, to what I've called delusion, the delusions of sin. Um, Solomon, as he wrote the uh, book of Proverbs, talked about a man who was a drunkard. And he talked all about what it's like for that man and, and all of the, the disorder that comes to his life. And at the end of it, there is a quote where the man says, when will I awake that I may seek another drink? The first delusion of sin is this, I feel bad now, but a little more sin will fix it. Now, we don't use the word sin in that statement because if we did, it would help us to stop. But that's what, it, that's what we're saying. Well, I feel bad. And sometimes we don't know the difference between guilt or some other bad feeling, and we mistake those. And so we think, well, I've just got to do some more of this. I've got to have some more, and then I'll, and then I'll feel better. The second delusion is this. I know this is wrong, but righteousness will hurt me more. I know this is wrong, but righteousness will hurt me more. This is the universal position that people get into when they have stayed in sin for a long time. They look and they see Christ and they see what they need to do, but they say, wow, if I'm going to step out of my sin, it's going to be painful. And that's true. It's painful to step out and to cut off those things that, that are weighing us down. There's all kinds of difficulty that goes with this. But to stay in sin hurts more, not to go for righteousness. The third and terrible delusion that we get is this, I can manage my sin. Um, you know, the alcoholic who says, I can control my drinking. Um, we could just go down through a whole list of things. I can manage my sin. Romans chapter 6 says you cannot manage your sin. It says whoever you present your life to, you're going to be a slave of that person, whether to righteousness or to sin. We cannot manage our sin. How do you protect yourself from the delusions of sin? Observe reality honestly. What really happens when people live in sin? Now, I know you could, I, I'm sure there's somebody here right now who's going, well, I know this person over here, their life's okay. <coughs> their life's okay right now. What is the reality of a life of sin? Does it lead upward farther and farther? Caught a little piece of, caught a little piece of a, a, a news entertainment thing this morning. Um, an actress who is a granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway, the famous author, took his own life, and sh they showed a family tree, and they lit up people want names one at a time, all the people in their family that have taken their own life. And I went, wow. Ernest Hemingway was famous, rich, popular, and he killed himself, as did many people in their family. But somehow we look at that and go, well, that'll never happen to me. I'll never be like that. Oh, I know how their life went, but no, not me, not me. No, I, I can control this. I can manage this. I'm going to make this happen. Everything's going to be fine here. Don't kid 
yourself. Just don't kid yourself. Look honestly at yourself. Look at, look at others. Look at society. Now, I'm going to pick it up here where I don't believe that I went before. I, I, I wasn't exactly sure. I didn't make a note on which one I ended, but I'm going to start here. Disorder. The cycle of sin brings us to a place where life breaks down. The wages of sin is death. And we could look at many scripture references in the New Testament and, and just understand <clears throat> that when we choose to live in sin, we lose the protection built into God's ways of righteousness. And I call this uh, natural consequences. When you reject God's way, you lose the protection built into his ways of righteousness. In other words, God said, I'm going to create the world, I'm going to create a, a life of righteousness, and it's going to work this way. And so when we follow God's way, it doesn't mean we have a problem-free life, but it does mean we avoid the pitfalls of sin. When we choose to sin and then fall into difficulty, those are the natural consequences of sin. God says, don't be a drunk. Don't be drunk. But when you ignore that clear instruction, you open yourself up to all kinds of ruin. That's not rocket science, is it? Every, uh, you know, this week, uh, wasn't it on the grand view? Person, one o'clock in the morning, Guy's been drinking, he's driving in the fog, and decides he's going to pass a semi-truck. Speed limit's 50 miles an hour, nobody knows how fast he was going, and he hits head on into another car. Okay? If he had not been drunk, might he have had better judgment? We don't know. Might have had foolish judgment anyway. Maybe he was in the habit of living foolishly. When you choose to live foolishly, you reap the results of a foolish life. God doesn't make those things happen. God put, put ways of living in place that will keep those things from happening. God says don't steal. When you steal, you open yourself up to the consequences which are both legal and personal. That's what we saw in Glenn's life. God says, don't lie. If you habitually lie, people will stop trusting you. And that will impact your ability to have joy and your ability to have good relationships within the family and so on. When I think of the natural consequences of sin, I, I, I think of a number of, of, of things over the years. When I was a youth pastor, there was a boy in my church who lived in sin, in my youth group. And his partner in sin was a boy from another church youth group. And both of these boys were raised in Christian homes and good churches, and they chose to live in sin. One day, this boy was driving up the guide. Him and his brother, they're coming home from uh, junior college there, and they're passing each other, trying to race each other home. And that boy pulled right out in front of a car, and a car hit him and killed him, and he went to, went to be wherever he went. That is the natural consequence of sin. God does not promise to protect us from our own foolishness, from our own rebellion. Now, God does that sometimes. I have no doubt that he does that. I'm sure he protects us far more than we know. But my point is this. 
Sin looks real great in the desire stage and the delight stage, but it will lead to the disorder stage. If we don't stop, we are going to come to difficulty. The difficulties may not be physical, they may, may just be personal. But there's a second category of disorder that sin brings, and it's what I've chosen to call imposed consequences. There are natural consequences, just the result of our behavior, and then imposed consequences. This principle ought to scare you to death. Likewise, you younger people, submit to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. One of the ways this Greek word was used in ancient Greek, the word for resist, in secular writings would be to talk about one country going to war with another country. Boy, when I, when I think of that concept of the word, I think, oh man, I don't want to go to war with God. I don't want to put myself in a place where I am going to be judged by God. When we reject God's ways, we not only lose the natural protection of righteous living, we gain confrontation from God. We gain confrontation from God. This is not punishment. This is him trying to stop our sin. Here's an example in Acts chapter 5. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife sold a possession, kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You see, he, he sold the property, and then he said, I have sold it for $10,000, and here's all of the money. In reality, he'd only sold it for 5000 and he wanted them to think he was giving, or he'd sold it for ten and gave them five. He was trying to build himself up. Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived in this thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. In other words, he, he, he didn't have to give all the money to God. God didn't ask that from him, but he wanted everybody to think he'd given it all. He, it's pride. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Wow, wow. There are times when God says, that's enough. And it ought to scare us. Frankly, I believe that's what it means to live in the fear of God. God does not punish his children for their sin. He punished Christ on the cross for our sin. I can no more pay for my sin as a Christian than I could as an unbeliever. But God, in his loving way, like a good parent, says, that's not going to be good for you. And so if you will not listen to my word, or to the preacher, or to your mom or dad, or all these other people who have been saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, then I am going to come along personally and put my finger on your life so you will stop that. If one of my grandchildren decided to run into the street, I would do everything physically possible to stop it. 
because it's not good for them. And that's how God looks at us. He says, you don't understand what you're doing. And I'm going to stop this. And sometimes God does it through the most extreme means possible, which is to bring us home. We don't lose our salvation, but we may lose the opportunity to live out our years. God often does this through illness. There's reference in other parts of the New Testament to the fact that God will bring illness to get correction. God does it through calamity. He doesn't punish us, but he does what is necessary to put an end to sin as he deems best. How do you avoid the disorder? How do you avoid the disaster, the breakdown that sin brings? Learn from the disorder that's come to others. As I said at the beginning of the sermon three weeks ago, so I say again now, one of the reasons I asked Glenn if he would share is so that you could all go, hey, that didn't work out that good. We need to learn from the disasters of other people's lives. And I don't say that, I don't say that with any joy or with any humor or anything else, but we need to be good students of life and say, I saw this person live in sin and it did not work out for them. And so when I am being tempted, maybe I'm just in the very beginning stages, but I'm being tempted, I need to say no, because where it will lead is to some kind of disorder in my life. This will not make my life great. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. Now all these things, all the things to the folks in the Old Testament happened to them as an example And they were written for our admonition or our warning upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't waste Glenn's humility. He stood here humbly and confessed his sin and told you, Sin doesn't work out. Don't waste that. Learn from that. Appreciate that and say, oh God, I know I'm I'm struggling here. I'm being tempted there. God, I want to be righteous. I want to pull back. I want to do what is right. I want to wait for your timing of the blessings in my life. When we allow sin to progress, we come to a point that I've called disappointment disappointment with life when we live in sin long enough we begin to expect less in life because we begin to be comfortable with a ruinous life have you heard people say this well what are you going to do well About the best we can do. Just going to muddle through. I don't know how many times I went to the Tuckwilla Police Department. And uh, I can remember one time in particular, some terrible shooting by a child on another child that happened in somewhere in the country. And I came in and a bunch of police officers and the man who was the chief at that time, they were talking Oh, they're talking about oh, so on, so on. And boy, what are we going to do about this? I know what we need to do about this. Well, yeah, but. 
Seriously, that, that's exactly what was said. Well, yeah, a lot of people don't want that. Yeah. A lot of people would rather live in the disorder of their life than take the solution of Jesus Christ changing them. It's easy to get comfortable with the ruin of sin. Do you remember the fellow in the New Testament we call the prodigal son? I don't, you know, I have to confess to you, I, I never, I didn't never study the word prodigal. I thought prodigal had to do with him, you know, running off. And, and we think of a prodigal son as somebody who runs off, you know, somewhere. That's not what it's about. The word prodigal means to be, to live in, sort of in an orgy, to just have no limits, to have no, you know, to live in excess. And so what it's referring to is the fact that he went to his dad and said, give me my share of the inheritance that I'll get someday when you die. Give it to me now. And he went and he just lived it up. And that, that's prodigal living. You just spend your money and party and carry on and so on. That's what it meant to be the prodigal in the, the old English that was used there. And, you know, he went and lived it up. And then he ran out of money. He ran out of money. He went, you know, to the next, next nation over. It'd be like us going to the next state. He lived it up. And then he was out of money, so he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, you know, Jim, Jim's a pig farmer. He loves pigs. Little hobby farm there. We think, great, we're raising some pork. This was a Jewish fellow. Back in the day when they took that stuff really seriously. And the only job he could find after he wasted his money and spent his life in, in, in uh, terrible living was to feed pigs. Man, that's God going, how's that working out for you? So he's there feeding the pigs, feeding the pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. But nobody gave him anything. Man, that's poor living. Nobody gave him anything. I mean, there he's feeding pigs, which is disgusting. And, and then he's starving hungry. Because of the delusions of sin, there is a tendency to stay in the muck of life day after day, slowly convincing ourselves this is the best we can do. And the result is we give up. I'm sure we've all known people like this, and maybe there's even been a time like this in our own life we ask questions like this, why don't they do better? Why don't they change? Why can't I get off the dime and move forward? The prodigal son was trudging through his life which had been disordered by sin and finally, one day he woke up and this is what it says, when he came to himself, it's like he woke up one morning and went, man, what am I doing? This is not working out for me. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, but I perish with hunger? 
Here I went to my father and I said, give me what I have coming as a son. And I went and spent it. Now I'm feeding the pigs. And my father's hired servants are eating three squares a day. And I'm starving. You see, he looked at reality like we've been talking about. He, he looked at reality and went, this is stupid. But he had been lulled to sleep by the delusion of sin. He said, this is crazy. How do you protect yourself from the disappointment of sin? Don't allow the consequences of sin to become normal. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap everlasting life. If your life is not progressing, if you are not experiencing joy and peace and seeing God at work around you, something is wrong. And you need to wake up and say, this is no good. When I first came to this church, I noticed the radio station coming out of the sound system. And I thought, that's messed up. And I, I, I was, you know, in course of time, we, we fixed that, and thankfully we don't get that anymore. But in the process of that, I asked, I, I was talking to somebody, and they said, you know, I came to this church about 15 years ago, and and I used to notice that, but now I don't notice it anymore. That's what sin does. You can live in sin so long that you go, well, it ain't that great, but what are you going to do? We have got to be in the habit, the habit of practicing all of these principles so that we won't settle into a sinful lifestyle. We've got to avoid the trap of our fleshly desires by limiting our choices to those which honor God. We've got to avoid the pleasure of sin by listening to the spiritual authorities God's placed in our lives, especially when we don't understand the danger. We've got to listen to the Holy Spirit when he produces guilt and and then we've got to confess our sin right away. We have to avoid the delusional trap of sin by honestly observing the reality of sin in the lives of others and ourselves. And we have to avoid the disorder of sin by observing in the lives of others for both good and bad. We've got to do this so that we don't settle down like the prodigal son living in sin, feeding the pigs. Because... The greatest problem that sin brings is the problem of division. Division between us and Christ. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now I realize that this principle from, from Jesus Christ himself in the Sermon on the Mount is directly about money and the love of money. But the principle goes beyond that and it's enunciated throughout the Gospels. And he says this, you cannot hang on to Christ and sin. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and sin. But this is how we want to live sometimes. We want to walk that so-called fine line which does not exist. Because according to Matthew 6, you're either over here, or you're over here, but you're not here. It's hard to let go of sin. It costs something. But isn't it worth hanging on to Christ? Listen to these verses that we often quote in terms of marriage, but there's a a broader principle here too. Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion or agreement has light with darkness? What agreement or working together has Christ with the devil? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God, that's your body, with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know, what's amazing is, often, when Christians choose to hang on to their sin, they get to a point where sin brings disorder, and you know who they blame for that? God. They look up to heaven and say, why are you letting my life be as such a ruin? And I can imagine God in heaven saying, look and see what you're hanging on to there, buddy. And he says, let go of that and take a hold of this and I will be your father. I will be that person hanging on to you to keep you from running in the street. I will be that person providing those things that you need. I will be that person meeting the the desires of your heart. But we've got to let go of sin. We've got to break that cycle of sin at every step. Um, some of our missionary guests in September um, who are with us have been living in a large Asian country, a place where the swine flu started. And uh, I asked one of them if they, you know, I, I have eggs on Sunday morning, I cook them in the fry pan. I said, would, would you like some eggs? Yes. Would you like them fried or scrambled? Fried. So I'm putting them in. I said, how, how hard do you want me to cook them? They said, uh, hard and break the yolk. That's too bad. <laughs> and then they said, with the swine flu, they said, the only way to be certain you don't get the swine flu germs in the eggs is to break the yolk and cook it hard. Well, I'm all for cooking it hard then. I mean, if somebody came to you and said, here's some swine flu, want to take a big breath? You'd say, no way, get away from me. I don't want anything part of that. And yet... When the sin is offered, we go, ooh, 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 ooh. 
maybe, maybe I can figure out a way. We need to break the yoke and cook it hard and keep it away from us. The best way to avoid the ruin of sin is to keep sin out of your life. Don't let it start. When it starts, stop it. Repent. And don't let it become the path of your life. Heavenly Father, we are all tempted every day. And I say we very seriously this morning. I want to say no at every point. I want to reject the temptations and I pray that you will help me to do that and I pray that you'll help every person here to do that. Father, if there's somebody here who doesn't know the power to say no because they haven't believed in Christ, help them to seek us out and to come to faith in Christ today. I pray in his name, amen.